And now, The Low Post. Welcome to what we are calling Detroit Day on The Low Post Podcast. We'll have Jeremy Grant, all-star hopeful Jeremy Grant, coming up later. But I want to start with, this is a, is a big honor for me, one of my favorite players of all time, a guy who made me want to go to the University of Michigan. I did not end up going to the University of Michigan, but made it the coolest, coolest school on the planet. And a guy that I once wrote a column about called Put Chris Weber in the Hall of Fame. The one and only Chris Weber. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Zach. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. When are we going to put you in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. What, what else, do I have to write another column? <laughs> well, first, uh, thank you for the column. My brother, who uh, I won't say he's my agent, but he's like my bodyguard. My, my younger brother, Jeffrey, he uh, told me about your article and things like that. Because for so long, I had to like try to keep my mind away from those conversations, you know, not because anything else, but just because you don't want to go through the stress of, you know, thinking about it and weighing it when you don't have control. And so for me, not getting in, honestly, you know, it definitely was tough. And uh, good thing I had guys like Charles Barkley and Shaq and others that I played against that are in the Hall of Fame, you know, help validate that. And then you get to a point where, you say, you know what, I am a Hall of Famer without trying to be cocky, just saying, you know, I know what I did. And so what I did was I wanted, I really, everybody wants to make the Hall of Fame, but I, I wanted to more so make it that I had a chance to give a, a speech and shout out all the people that helped me, my AAU coach, my mother, my father. You know, you want those people to be around um, at that moment. And uh, so I just called last year and just really thanked everybody and, uh, you know, we kind of had our own thank you ceremony. And that's, I like you know. it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you definitely think about those things. All right. Well, let's talk about Detroit for a minute because you and I are almost the same age. You're a couple years older than me, but we grew up on opposite sides of the basketball spectrum. Okay. I was a Celtics fan in Connecticut. You were a Pistons fan outside Detroit. I have to say, even as a Celtics fan, Okay, I hated Lambeer. I hated Lambeer. The rest of the team I actually had a grudging respect for. I liked the bad boys even at the time. I thought they were cool. They were different than the Celtics in every possible way, and I thought they were cool. 20, 30 years later, 30-plus years later, I think it's really awesome that a Midwest and important for the NBA that a Midwestern market has an iconic team attached to it and... I, I just think it's important that those markets kind of come back to relevancy. So the Pistons are obviously in a deep rebuild. I'll start with this. Are you, are you following them? And what would it mean for you for the Pistons to sort of get back in the discourse in a relevant way? Because they're, they're sort of this forgotten franchise, but they're also an iconic NBA franchise. Yeah, that's a great question. So, yeah, I mean, those bad boys are my 85 bears, you know, um, there's something that gives you pride in the city. Um, Lambeer, you know, Isaiah Thomas, my favorite player of all time, but Lambeer may have had the most influence in my career, uh, maybe even in the Fat Five's career. And what I mean by that is that we grew up in Detroit, Jed and myself, and when the bad boys really embraced it, you know, Isaiah was nice. He had to smile. He'd beat you up, but he was nice. He had to smile. Dumars was quiet. The real bad boy wasn't Rob, and it was Lambeer. And when he would go in front of the Celtics and they would get booed, I loved it because his intro, because he would tell them, boo me louder, boo me louder. And so um, they had a big influence uh, on my career, number 40. He made six threes in overtime. Okay, let me let me get off Bill Lambeer. He led the league in rebounding. Uh, 
beat up Barkley, you know. But let me let me get back to it. Um, I think the Pistons, I do follow them. Uh, I want them to make a commitment to the community first. When I was younger, we begged, like, I remember getting in trouble for at night, like, having this conversation, like, what if the Pistons were in Detroit? Like, this is stupid things little kids did. No Instagram, anything. I mean, you're up 2 in the morning. My mom's like, the Pistons aren't coming to Detroit. So now that the Pistons are in Detroit, they need to embrace the fans that's been embracing them. The city doesn't – it's not that feel for the Pistons. And just to be clear for people who have never been there, you mean Detroit as opposed to Auburn Hills, which is, like, people don't realize how far and in the middle of nowhere the palace yes. was. Yeah, thanks, Zach, because – you, you got to realize 45 minutes from the city and all the players that used to play in Detroit used to call me and go, where do I go? I'd say, you got to go to the city. So it was always a disconnect, always. And now that the city finally has it and people in the city can afford to go, we're a four sports town. The rest of the teams are downtown and they sell out baseball, football, hockey. Um, so one, they need to make a recommitment to the community that supports them. It's a disconnect. And until that disconnect is fixed, nothing can be right. And then secondly, I really hope they make a change, but they have some commitments. You know, I'm really hoping for um, Blake Griffin, a big man like myself, but he's hurt. Doesn't even have a dunk this year. Uh, we love the fact Jeremy Grant is probably our biggest bright light. He plays hard every night. He has the heart of the piston. So I think it's going to be great. But if we're honest with ourselves, it's going to take two or three years to get out of um, the dungeon. And that's fun. If you're a fan, you can watch us grow. But, you know, it's, it's going to take a little work. Let's go back through some bad boys history, because why not? Where were you? Where were you? Game six of the 1988 finals. This is the Celtics, most... Un- I got a whoop in that night. It's, what, game six of the finals. The finals. Pistons-Lakers, 88. Um, 88. 88. Pistons lose the finals in 88. Seven games. The most under... Yeah, Isaiah, that's when I'm... Yes. yes, we'll talk about it. The most under-discussed controversial call in NBA history. Pistons are up one and up 3-2, about to win the championship. Lakers dump the ball to Kareem with 20 seconds left. Sky hook over Lambeer, misses, foul. You watch that replay, it's a little blurry. I still don't know if there was any kind of contact there. And literally, I, I don't know why we don't talk about this play more. Maybe it's just so old. It swung potentially the NBA championship. So what do you, were you watching the game? What do you remember about this? Have you ever talked about this with Bill Lambeer? I've never talked about it with Bill Lambeer, but if you look here, he's in a vertical position and he looks around like, you got to be kidding me. And you got to remember the, the year before, our heart was broken with the steal by Larry Bird uh, and then making a layup uh, in the Boston Garden. And so, um, with one but, you know, second left, people forget that, that that game was over. That basket yeah. went in with one second left. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, think about Zach if this was the new NBA where you give up on a team after two years. You know, the Pistons <laughs> lost to the Celtics, lost to the Lakers, and then come back and win too. I think that's that, that's that's pretty cool. But, you know, as a Pistons fan and a homer, not as an analyst now, but as a Pistons fan, yeah, I, re- I remember that play. Um, I was at home, and I remember calling foul. You know, that's when I love L.A., you know, all of me. We love it, and Jack Nicholson on the ground and, you know, on the court and all the beautiful highlights and everything and beat L.A. That was the – those days and so yeah I was at home watching those games man and um getting in trouble for screaming too loud knocking over furniture and stuff like that well that was also the game that was the series where Isaiah puts up the the legendary sprained ankle game and in game seven 
Game seven, he only had 10 points. He could only go 28 minutes. I mean, the people for, people talk about that game too, but Isaiah, you talked about as your all-time favorite player. Have you talked to him about that game? I mean, I assume you watched that game too. It's an all-time. If people haven't seen Isaiah doing that on one leg, go on YouTube right now, 1988 Finals, Isaiah, one leg game. Just search it. With, with some heavy weapons on too. Those shoes were heavy. I mean, uh, yeah, I talked, I found I, Isaiah, it's a weird situation because he's been a mentor since I've been in high school. I've been a fan since I first heard of him, and he's a friend, and sometimes you just don't know how to handle that. So, yeah, I sit and talk to him about all those plays all the time, <laughs> all the time. I know you're still mad about that game. Brother. I mean, I, I remember that, ga- that game was on NBA Classics years and years ago, and I texted Joe Dumars, and I was like, hey, just FYI, I'm watching a young Joe Dumars, and I didn't say what part of the game was going on. He texted back, and he was like, I think the text just said, it wasn't a foul. Like, that was it. That was the first <laughs> Yeah. So, so so what did it mean when they broke through the next year and swept the Lakers and won the championship and they and and as you said this team that had been close and close and close they break through and they dominate what did it mean to you as a kid yeah I think people have to, have to understand well they know everybody's a fan I mean what it meant was it validated our city at that time it was between us and Chicago going back and forth as murder capital and things like that it validated the hard work of people like my father no, they worked in factories all the time. They were the bad boys. They weren't the L.A. boys. They weren't the cute boys. They weren't the millionaire boys. They were the bad boys. And so it validated that as far as high school sports. It gave us something to follow. Um, big men started shooting threes because Lambeer made six in overtime. We knew his game. We knew in Detroit you had to be tough. Uh, we knew you couldn't cry on the court. So it was no more fouls called on the park. And in the park, um, Joe Dumars, after winning that championship, uh, what I remember about that most is that um, his father passed away. And this is just as a fan watching the Channel 7 or 4 after the game. And uh, he put his ring in his father's casket when he passed away. It meant the world to us. Pistons meant every everything to us, and they still do, because, you know, sports represent so much more. And they were the underdogs. We felt that, you know. The league, as a fan, you feel the league wants L.A. to win. You feel the big markets. And so winning that meant, you know, one for the good guys, one for the underdogs. And, and me personally, as a Detroiter, you know, we got to in 84 when the Tigers won the championship, uh, Kirk Gibson and those boys, and then 89 and 90. I just remember uh, going all the way from not being old enough to drive, getting to beep the horn with my father, drove around the streets, people hanging out the window till me being able to drive him the last championship and beeping out the window. So they meant, they, they, they meant the world to us, bad boys forever. What did it mean to you to play for them late in your career? And not just play, you started for them and you started every game in the playoffs for them in 2007. What, what do you remember about the moment you knew I'm being traded to the Pistons, I'm going to be a Piston? As my career is maybe winding down, I'm getting a chance. Yeah, so that, that was a long journey because when I was a free agent um, and going back to Sacramento, Joe D., uh, really recruited me. My brother coached his son in high school. I've known Joe D forever. He's a man I admire. And Joe D sat me in his office. He had Martin Lawrence do a tape in his character for me saying, come home to Detroit. I mean, it, this was by far the best recruiting ever. Wait, Detroit. what What char- What character was he in? Like a-, uh, a little bit of Romy Rome, but he was telling me from his backyard, um, you know, Hey, you got to be a piston. He had the basketball and it was just awesome to, you know, coming home and just looking. I just had such a commitment in Sacramento. But I remember 
uh, Joe D looking me in my eyes and going, uh, my plan is this year to really be good, maybe sneak a championship, but we're going to win one in the next three years. And I want you to be a part of it. And at this time, there was no way to see that. And uh, coming home would have just been, coming home at that time would have just been, would have been something else. And, and I had established something in Sacramento. So uh, not making it there was was tough. And when they won, I even called Joe D, you know, damn near crying like you did it congratulations i wish i was a part of it um and then going home i mean it was the best locker room i've ever been in in the nba wow period maybe because we were the oldest locker room in the nba everyone was old and at that time larry brown they won a championship before two years before and larry brown really put his stamp on the team so i never saw a team that concentrated this much on defense rasheed wallace who was my rookie coming in was now my peer and his growth, how he was on the team, Chauncey Billups, Rip, Tayshawn Prince might be the smartest player I've ever played with. That was just the joy to be in that locker room. And so I remember that, the, the joy to be in that locker room, having Coach Collins, man, MVP coached me, hear old stories. And then um, I remember, uh, you know, LeBron had a hell of a game. Uh, you know, I thought we were going to go to the championship that year. He hit us with 25 in the fourth quarter. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about your memories of that game. 25 consecutive Cleveland Cavaliers points to put the Cavs up three-two in that series. Yeah, whoever doesn't believe LeBron is good, you know, you should just watch a couple games. But uh, you know, I remember, I remember that. I remember playing against a great LeBron. I remember, you know, sitting in the Cleveland locker room knowing it was over. And I really retired at Piston. I tried to to go to Golden State to have some type of semblance of full circle, but, you know, I definitely left my heart and soul in that locker room in Cleveland, and it was one of the best times, uh, it was one of the best times of my life. Is that the best, was that the best individual performance you ever played against that game? Like, I, that, I just remember watching that game, I was watching it with my dad, and he was just going to the basket over and over again. There was nothing fancy about it, it's just like, and I remember, like, they just can't do anything. He's just steamrolling to the basket over and over again. That's definitely one of the best individual games, and I'll put it because that team is one of the best defensive teams, period, that Pistons team, um, or, or one of the top teams that didn't go to championship uh, defensively. So, yeah, they um, that was just awesome to see what he was doing as a young guy. And, uh, man, he, he only got better. So, it was, uh, yeah, that was something. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills, or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. 
but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All right, it's time to it's time to get painful. Have you ever watched game 6 of the 2002 conference finals between you guys and the Lakers, which is which is known as um let's just call it the free throw game? Yeah, I watched it uh, la- uh a year and a half ago for the first time because I had to write about it. And so Oh, wait, what did you write about it? I maybe I forgot about this. No, 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 it's it's later project. I'm, you know, writing an autobiography and I talk about that whole series um a lot you know uh can't be bitter about it but what happened happened and so i i couldn't watch that game uh, until i had to a couple years ago so what 15 years i don't even know i don't even know what year it was whenever it was <laughs> that damn game and saving it for the book no i, I no 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 I, I mean i after that game in an interview in the locker room, uh, I said, you know, that was the first time I've ever been cheated. That that game, a lot of that game is why I commentate now. Like when I commentate, you know, I don't care if the ref likes it or not. And I'm friends with referees and I play golf with them, hang out. They're great guys. Uh The lack of of balls that the media had is, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to say except I knew it then. Players made comments to me on the other team then. And I'm in sports, so what can you do? You can't cry about it and say, what if? So say what it is and keep moving. But just just watch the series. So look how we beat them by 23 or 25 the game before. We we had them figured out. You're saying we win a championship. We're not champions. Should have won the next game. Should have made free throws, all that good stuff. But that game six, yeah, it was. Um, You're saying Lakers players made comments to you? Every, everybody. Players, players on other teams oh, were calling team. me. No, no, every, no. I'm saying everybody, everybody. Let me be clear. Everybody, everybody, and then players from other teams call after to echo what everybody said on that court. So, so it's clear. Just I can see your face. It's clear this series is still is still painful for you. Um, so let me let me ask a happy question first, and then we'll go back to sad stuff. I remember interviewing Vlade Divac maybe two years ago. The Kings were having a nice run at the end of the 18-19 season. It seemed like it was coming together, and it seems like it, it's coming together a little bit now with Fox and Halliburton lighting things up. And I remember interviewing Vlade about what it would mean for him to be the GM of a Kings team that that reached far again. And Doug Christie was walking by us as we did the interview on the baseline in Philadelphia. 
And he looked at Doug Christie and he said, you better believe he and I talk about it. And Bobby Jackson was on the staff then, I think he said, he pointed to Bobby, I think. He said, you better believe Bobby Jackson and I talk about it. It means something to us as a group. For us, now Vlad is obviously not there anymore, for us to build this particular franchise back. So do you feel, I mean, you obviously don't work for the Kings. I don't believe you've ever worked for the Kings. But do you, that group seems to still share some connection. And obviously to neutral NBA fans, everybody loved that team. Everybody loved to watch that team. Even Lakers fans begrudgingly love to watch that team. But do you guys, are you guys all still in contact? Do you feel that same sort of bond towards the, the fans in the city? Yeah, man. I'm, I love Sacramento. I go there all the time. I have business friends there. I wanted to run the team. Um, I don't think anyone really knows the pain that, that, that we had. Uh, we did lose to the best. We lost to three Hall of Famers. One happened to be on the sideline coaching. Uh, but I made a decision to stay there. Not many people know that it was a trade in, in the works for me to go to L.A. Um, also, I almost went to San Antonio as a free agent. I'm, you know, whatever, uh, let's just take Damian Lillard. At the end of his career, he's going to be called a loser because he's not going to win one important. He's great. One of my favorite players. He's awesome, right? But when he's a free agent, he's going to have a chance to come up and he's going to stay there because he's confident, arrogant, He's worked his butt off, and he loves Portland. <laughs> but if Portland doesn't win one, he's gonna have his fire burning, you know, all the time. And so, let me you know, say as someone main... in the let me say as someone in the media that if that scenario comes to pass, I hope you're wrong, and we don't say, "Well, where's the ring?" and this and that, because it, that discourse is usually silly to begin with. But Dame, Zach, who haven't we? Who haven't we? Who haven't we done it for? I mean, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Harden is the same kind, but Harden has had a better career, gave his heart to Houston. It didn't end ceremoniously, all that. But the GM and the coach left. Like, that was an error. Or let's say, um, you know, I just don't know who we haven't done that to, Zach. I just don't I just don't know. And it just takes time. Like, we did it to Barkley. We did it to Ewing. We We're did still it to Stockton. Doing to we did, well, that's right. Shaq still does it to Barkley more than anyone else. <laughs> But so, yeah, I don't, you, I, were say, you were saying I, something about you almost got traded to, I guess, the Lakers. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah I go off on tangents. I had to make you work, earn it. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, so, yeah, does it mean a lot? Yeah, I love Sacramento. I love the fans. It would mean a lot to see them. And more for the fans. Like, those are the same fans that were there cheering us. I did not want to go to Sacramento. I made it clear. I'm a bottom dweller. Terrible. Nobody cared. They didn't put money into the team. They they were gimmicks. They they were the laughing stock of the league. Our teams, and when I played in Golden State, we could drive. This is the only team I've ever been where they let you drive to the game and drive back because it was like, ah, just whatever, you know? And then you get there and you meet the people and then you see the fans and you're like, oh no, y'all got this all wrong. So yeah, I, I mean, a lot of this ego, I wanted to be that ambassador. Everybody wanted to be that ambassador. We had an international team. We were playing the right way, you know? So uh, it, it was, I will say, one of the best moments of my life life going uh, through that with them and, and having so much fun. But yeah, I, I love Doug Christie to this day. I mean, I love those guys. So yeah, we, we talk a lot and uh, you know, it's good. I always say, you know, you, you definitely want to win a championship, but having, you know, won high school championship, been the championships in college and things, I, I think that you want to play with guys since it's no guarantee. 
you want to play with guys that um, you can lose with and love each other because the winning is easy if, if you're at that point. And with those guys, uh, whether at Michigan, whether at, uh, whether at Sacramento, that's just the way it was. And by the way, let me just speak as a neutral college basketball fan. None of us care that Michigan didn't win the championship. We were all cheering for the Fab Five. We all, in our hearts, the Fab Five won the championship. But I don't care what the game, what the results of the game were. I don't want to even care. Two more quick Kings questions. Um, I'm always curious about this game. You mentioned you guys, you guys had figured the Lakers out. That's what you said. Game four, you're up in two one in the series. You've won games two and three. You're up seventeen late in the second quarter. Samaki Walker hits a half court shot after the buzzer. We don't realize it's after the buzzer until too late. It's or, it's already counted. They, of course, end up winning by one. We don't have to talk about how they won by one. It's been rehashed many, many times. Damn, Ori. <laughs> and I'm wondering, when you guys go in that locker room up 65-51, chance to go up 3-1 in L.A., what's that? What do you remember from that halftime locker room? Are, does that Walker shot take some air out of you, or do you guys still feel like, oh, my God, like, We've been up by 20 this whole game. We, we, we feel it. Um, yeah, anytime a last-second shot happens, you know, it takes the air out. We never thought the game was closed with any Laker game. I mean, they had Kobe and Shaq and, and Phil Jackson. So we knew we were up against the best, maybe some of the best to ever do it. But, you know, they changed the rule after that shot. I don't know if you realize that that's why we have the point, whatever we have, and uh, put on the clock, actually, um, tenths of a second after that. Um, you know, that was, uh, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a big shot, but we were, we were rolling, you know, we knew how to space the floor. We were playing a different way. So no, nah, I mean, and we like playing on the road more. We loved it. Eddie Murphy over there looking at his Denzel, let us show he was up tonight. So it was, no, nah, we didn't feel that we had it. We felt like, okay, we get, we came here and finished half the job. Let's, let's finish it all. Last Kings question. I don't know if anyone's ever asked you this before, cause I never heard about it before until yesterday. True or false? And this, I'm not even sure this is even funny anymore, but we'll do it anyway. True or false, Vlade Divac once commandeered a police car and pulled you over in a fake traffic stop after a Kings practice. That's true. <laughs> well, I tell you, we, it's a travesty we didn't win, man. It, it was so much, it was so much fun. We held each other accountable. Yeah, Vlade, Vlade did that, and he was speeding because I was super speeding. And he was speeding. He didn't even tell you. Like, he went up. If I really tell you, I, I guess it's old now, but he did some type of thing where he almost flipped the car over. You got to realize, Vlade's all <laughs> Europeans drive crazy from my from my time of playing with Murasan, Vlade, all these guys. But, yeah, Vlade was, was that. The best one is uh, we, <laughs> we had a rookie. Vlade and I used to buy suits and clothes for the rookies take care of them but you got to do some stuff so one rookie started feeling himself and we told him don't gamble on the plane do not gamble we're not we're not going to take care of you if you go gamble you can't win he goes and gambles loses his life and so we repair his life and, and make up for everything that he's lost but he has to cut his hair into a mr t mohawk during this game on abc or whatever the national game we were on and sit on the bench next to coach. The coach is looking at us like, I know what y'all are doing. Y'all are so stupid for doing this. And the whole game, Vlade has uh, the in-house production keep shining <laughs> this with Mr. T. And uh, it was the best locker room 
that I've been in. Jay Will, he lost a bet to me. And uh, it's for a lot of money, for $5,000 or whatever. And uh, he's going to pay me, but he's really pissed off. I think it's because uh, Florida loses a football game. And I just want to bet against him because he's the most obnoxious <laughs> fan in the world, especially when it comes to, as he says, Florida sports, shawty. Y'all know how to handle Florida sports, shawty. So I this just is got fantastic. Tired of, him, tired of him, tired of him. I won, and he brings it all in nickels. Has the ball boy loaded in my car? I get two flat tires because this is that not. This heavy. cannot possibly be true. Handsome man, <laughs> I get two flat tires because it's five thousand dollars worth of nickels. I don't even know how much that is. Then get someone to fix the car. Go up to the uh, bank and. Uh, I was just pissed for about two and a half hours as we sat there and made sure all the nickels were there and every single nickel was there. But yeah, that's that's how it was. Uh, that's that's how it was on our team, brother. Hito Turkaloo, Peja. You know, we we had Jimmy Jackson. We had some. We had well, great you, you coaches, had, great guys. You had Haydu when he had the frosted tips, which look very unfortunate in in yeah. retrospect. That yeah, look, I have about <laughs> forty questions. Uh, particularly about Vlade Divac in a police car I, but, and how that ended and when you realized you were being pulled over, not by a cop, but by Vlade. But we're running out of time. I have two minutes and 20 seconds left. I promise you 30 minutes. So the last question I have to ask you is, you were a part of the most famous non-televised basketball game in the history of planet Earth. Well, one of the most famous non-televised basketball games in the history of planet Earth. The Dream Team scrimmage against a collection of all-star college players. Chris Mullen has said publicly you played quite well in that game. What do you remember walking into that gym? I don't even know where that was. I think it was in the, it was in the States somewhere. But what do you remember walking, walking into that gym and being like, I can't believe this is happening? Or are you like, I want to freaking win. I don't care who I'm playing against. I had water in my eyes. I mean, it was just, I was really crying inside. I mean, I, I had all these guys in posters on my wall. Barkley and Malone were the best power forwards ever. You know, I remember being in a huddle with Grant Hill, Bobby Hurley, you know, our whole squad, because I had known them since I was like 14. I remember going, this is our moment, guys. Like, we all dreamed about being in the NBA. We are here. Like, we are here. I remember Grant trying to D up Jordan. It was like everybody, Hurley against um, Stockton, everybody was going against their hero. It was the best basketball moment in my life. We did win, Chuck Bailey brought me home and talked to me about how we won, how we need to get better, all this. But the next day, no one talks about this. We did not score one point. Yeah, they, they were not They happy. denied us. Like, it was it was the most embarrassing thing ever. But we got the first win. Best, best, best moment, period, in my basketball, basketball life. All right, C-Webb, you've got to go. You've got the TNT game, Mavs Warriors, tonight. Uh, you have your Zooms with the coaches. This has been an honor. We'll have to do a more proper, full career retrospection when the time is right but thank you for talking a little detroit hoops and everything else uh one of my favorite players of all time i used to imitate the baseline spin which you have credited to james worthy and dunk on my nerf hoops so this is an honor thank you very much hey zach i appreciate it man thank you passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, 
your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price anywhere from $25 and under to $100 and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. All right, I'm very excited about this to continue Detroit Day. Let's bring in one of the breakout players of the season, a legitimate all-star candidate for the Detroit Pistons who made a very daring decision, not the safe decision, not a decision a lot of players would have made to leave a conference finalist in Denver to come to a rebuild in Detroit. Jeremy Grant, how are you? Doing fine. Doing fine. How are you? I'm hanging in. So all-star, let's just start right off the bat. You're a candidate for all-star. I think it would be an incredible story. Should there even be an all-star game? Will you go if you get selected? Uh, I mean, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a lot going on. Um, I think uh, in theory, yeah, I mean, it's definitely um, good for you morally. I don't, I don't think there, there should be an actual all-star game, especially with everything going on. But uh, at the same time, it's, I mean, it's an honor to, to, to be in, in contention for that, so. You are averaging 24 points and six rebounds a game on 45% shooting, 40% from three. Uh, I will admit I did not see that coming. I was one of the people who was like, whoa, this is going to be a big jump for Jeremy Grant. And I will give you an example. I'm going to give you a stat that you may not even know about yourself. Are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. You have made nine pull-up threes so far this season. So nine threes off the dribble. You're nine of 27 on threes off the dribble. How many pull-up threes do you think you made in your entire career before this season? Uh, Not many. (laughs) Six. Six. So here's my question. We saw very little of this kind of player in previous stops, running a ton of pick and rolls, off the dribble threes. If I had seen practices – and workouts would I have seen that player? Like, how confident were you that this player was in you somewhere? Uh, I mean, you have to be confident. Uh, like you said, I made a, a controversial decision. Um, and I think that was more based off uh, my work ethic. So I knew I know, I know what I can do. Uh, and I knew what I could do um, based on, like, my workouts and everything. That's where my confidence comes from. So, yeah, I mean, if you, you came to the workouts and things like that, you would see it. But uh, I've never been put in a position um, to to do what I'm doing now. And uh, it was always um, put my team first. Uh, I'm in a situation and I want to win. I'm a, I'm a winner. So um, that was always uh, what came first for me. And, uh, you know, just as my career was going on, uh, you know, you, 
you know, you have a short window of, of when you can play and what you can do. Um, so, I, you know, I just wanted to, uh, wanted to, wanted something different. And, uh, yeah, that's why I'm here now. Are you, are you surprised at how successful you've been individually so quickly, or did you feel it like preseason or whatever? You were like, okay, this is, I, can, I can do this. Is there any part of you that's surprised? Uh, not really surprised. Um, maybe it, I thought maybe it might have happened um, a little bit towards like the middle of the season. Uh, so I'm not really surprised. Uh, the timing is better than, than expected, but at the same time, uh, not really surprised on, on, yeah. Do you feel it at all physically? Like it's, it's a different kind of burden, right? To be the lead ball handler on a team, the leading scorer on a team. I mean, obviously you, you play hard all the time. You've been a great defensive player, your career, you're grinding every minute, but it, it's a different kind of responsibility. Do you feel it physically or mentally? Like, are you worried there's going to be a wall you're going to hit at some point, or do you feel totally like you would normally feel after 20 games? It's definitely a lot different. Um, it's, a, it's a lot more mileage, I think, on, on your body. Um, you, de- you still got to play both ends of the basketball. Um, you have I mean, a lot more usage. Um, so it's definitely a lot a lot more wearing, uh, tiring on the body. Um, and mentally, you, know, you have to you have to prepare for the game differently, um, knowing that that uh, you're the main focus on the other team's scouting report. Uh, you just gotta you gotta think the game a lot more before the game. You gotta prepare uh, differently. Um, it's a completely different game um, when you're in this position. Uh, so I mean, I mean, you look at guys who are stars now, and uh, you 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 start to realize that you know, it, it takes a lot. Um, but at the same time, um, this is what I asked for, so uh, I'm ready for it. So. Yeah, you also. Um... James Edwards at The Athletic, you, you talked to him for a really good story a few weeks ago about why you went to Detroit. And it's not something that I had known before he wrote that story because everyone's saying, oh, he went for a bigger role. You know, the offers were the same. And you came out and you said part of the reason that Detroit appealed to you was as a black man playing for a black coach in Dwayne Casey and a black GM you've known for uh, since you were a kid, I think, in, in Troy Weaver – and in one of the blackest cities in America with a, with a, one of the highest black populations and for a team that just relocated from the suburbs to the city proper a couple of seasons ago. I, I, I had never heard that before, and I thought that was very interesting. So that, that was at the forefront of your thought process. Was it wh- When did it dawn on you that that was at the forefront of your process? Is it something that you had been thinking about even before, or, or when did it hit you? Uh, I mean, it was, it was extremely appealing uh, for me. Just like you said, to be a black man and to be able to have that entire experience. I mean, it was it was definitely I mean, definitely appealing to me. I wouldn't say that I was I mean, obviously, it wasn't the only reason that, that I came here, but uh, it definitely helped to bring me here. What appealed to you about that? Just because like, you know, there's been a lot of, I think, justifiable criticism in the NBA about how the executive and coaching ranks do not look like the player ranks. And that's Detroit is one of the places where it does. Is that is it just as simple as that, or was it something larger, some comfort issue? Well, I mean that that is the case, and also, um, like you said, uh, the comfortability level, um, knowing that you have people that have similar experiences to you, uh, whether it's growing up, especially Troy. Uh, just me knowing Troy, I know, uh, you know what he's been through, how he's you know uh, grown, and uh, obviously him knowing me. 
uh, makes it a lot easier. Um, but I think, yeah, the comfort level, um, you know, it's, it's definitely comforting uh, for me personally to, to look over and know that my, my GM um, has experienced a lot of the same things that I've experienced uh, as a black man in America and things like that. Uh, and then also, like, uh, as a coach, uh, I got to be, you know, with Dwayne uh, Casey all the time, Coach Casey all the time. So uh, just to, to know that that he understands, you know, where I'm coming from um, off the court helps me to, to, to be more comfortable on the court. So. Do you still follow the Nuggets or have you put out of sight, out of mind? No, nah, I still follow them. still follow them. got a lot of friends over there. So, Do you uh, – let's talk about some of the iconic – sort of shots and moments of your career, starting with the Nuggets. The Anthony Davis buzzer beater in game two of the Western Conference Finals. I watched it again today to remind myself, where is Jeremy Grant? Because I knew you were on the floor. Where is Jeremy Grant as you're guarding LeBron, who's setting a screen for Anthony Davis, and you stick on LeBron because the screen doesn't hit. So take me through that play. I'm sure you can still see it in your mind's eye and what the conversation was in the huddle about that play. Yep. So, so, yeah, it's definitely tough. I no, I, I can definitely see it. Um, so the the conversation was we're switching one through five um, before the ball comes in. Obviously, a few seconds left. Um, and uh, it was contact switching. So um, if your man sets a screen on uh, somebody on your team, you switch. You know, you switch it. So uh, it. it it was a little different. Uh, LeBron was standing there. He he ended up walking down. Um, he didn't really set a screen. Anthony Davis was on the right elbow, um, and he I mean he ran straight from the right elbow to the three point line all the way around. Uh, it was no screen. Um, I think uh, we kind of got it a little confused, um, and uh, it was two people on LeBron. Anthony Davis was wide open. What's Jokic the locker room? What, yeah, Jokic made it nice for for mm-hmm. big Jokic. Yep. He got out there. He got out there pretty good, uh, yeah, waving a hand in his face. Did. Yep, yep. What's the locker room like? What's the night? What's the night in the bubble like after that game? You can't go anywhere, right? There's like one restaurant you can go to. So how does a team take a blow like that? Go down 2-0 to LeBron, and you know if you're down 2-0 to a LeBron team, you're you're now in huge trouble. What what do you do after a game like that? Um. Honestly, I mean, you just look at the things that you could have did better throughout the game. Um, can't really harp on it too too much. You know, you got a game in another uh, day and a half or two days, whatever. Um, and you just got to focus on the next game, honestly. Uh, it definitely hits pretty hard. Uh, it's just definitely tough. Um, you got to, you know, you got a few hours to, to harp on that, and, and then you got to you gotta move on to the next game. Um. The round before that, obviously, you guys complete the crazy comeback against the Clippers. Okay, so you're down 3-1. We all know that. You're down 12 or 13 at halftime. And they even start pulling away a little bit in the third quarter. But inside that halftime locker room, do you really believe as a team, oh, we're fine, we got this? Is there any, like, I don't know what you remember from that halftime game five, if Malone said something or if it's just totally calm and normally like, we're just going to whittle it away. We just did this against Utah, but the Clippers are a different beast. Like, what, what do you remember of that locker room? Uh, we were definitely still confident. Um, we had a lot of firepower on that team. Uh, we had a lot of talent. Um, uh, five, 
maybe six players that can score 30 points on the team. Um, yeah, we wasn't we wasn't really too worried. Uh, I think um, we were we were just like I mean it's now or never. We got to do this or we're going home. So it's, uh, I think we kind of had that mindset. Um, obviously in the, the series before in the Utah series as well. Uh, but no, nah, we were pretty confident, and uh, once we got Game Five, we were we were really confident at that point. Yeah. It seemed it seemed so. What are your impressions of the Pistons' young guys? Pick pick uh, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bay. Who do you what What are your impressions? I like I like watching Stewart a lot. He just wants to kill people out there and get every you know, yeah. What 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 are your impressions of him? No, nah, I love these young guys, man. Uh, especially Isaiah Sadiq, like you said, even Killian. Uh, I know he's out right now, but I mean Isaiah. I mean his, his motor, his motor, um, his his attention to detail. He's he's learning. He's learning a lot right now, and. Uh, Nah, he's he's gonna be he's gonna be really good. Um, he got a lot of basketball IQ, and like you said, his motor, um, the the way he approaches every game, uh, not even just the games. You guys can see him in practice and even walk through and things like that. <laughs> you guys understand <laughs> why he plays like that. Uh, so him, Sadiq, um, you know, Sadiq's minutes are you know off and on sometimes, but uh, he got a lot of talent. And uh, going forward, I think. Uh, think we could be really good it's uh just a lot of young guys right now we're kind of learning the game uh, we're in a lot of the games but you know we gotta you guys have been in you guys have been in a lot of games and i and i've read comments and see like it seems like you take pride in that like the record is what it is but you're not rolling over for people like tatum has a buzzer beater basically last second shot to be you're like you're in a lot of games it seems like there is a certain i mean the pistons talked in the offseason about people are going to see the character of this team. They may not agree with all the signings we've done. Um, they may not think we have enough shooting, this and that, but we're going to be tough and competitive. And it's one thing to say that and talk and talk and talk, but you guys have done it. Like, it seems like you really do take pride in that. Uh, definitely. Definitely. I think Troy's, you know, he, you know, he put this team together. Um, and then he's definitely, you know, he's definitely not finished. Um, but uh, I think we do. We got we have great character uh, and, and guys, and I don't think uh, anybody's willing to give up uh, in the game. Um, so I think that that'll go a long way, uh, especially especially going forward. What's the scene like in Denver when you guys find out right before tip off that there's been an inconclusive test in the game that you're literally dressed to play? is about to be postponed. Like, and I mean this, like, break it down for me. Literally what happens? Like, who comes in the locker room and tells you that this is happening? Where does everybody go? How long are you in the arena? Like, I need the whole mechanics of it. Yes. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, so, like you said, we was dressed. We had just had a Western film right before we were supposed to go out and uh, to for layup lines. Um, what is it? 20... Four minutes on the clock, so 24 minutes before the game. Um, you know, we bring it in the huddle. Um, so we're getting dressed. Everybody's getting ready. You know, music playing. Um, Coach Casey comes in. He's like, "Who picks? Who picks the music?" Um, well, we mix it up. We mix it up. Uh, so we we let Sekou do some of the music because you know he got a lot of energy. Um, his music choice, you know, he plays a lot of NBA Young Boy. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, we let him pick, we let him pick two songs. He got you know he got a couple few, few good songs. Um, is anyone banned? Has anyone done it and, and been banned? From uh, nobody. Again? Can. So Casey comes in and tell me from there. 
Uh, yep. So he comes in. He says, uh, he tells us that uh, we might not be able to go out yet. Just, just hang tight. Uh, everybody's like, yeah, what's going on? Then um, Lindo, Michael Lindo, um, GM's assistant, he comes in and he tells us that uh, one of the guys' tests might be inconclusive. Uh, so at that point, we're sitting there, we're looking around like, when they say that, that means we're in for a long haul. Because uh, if somebody's inconclusive, that means they really don't want us to go out there. You know, so we're sitting there. We're sitting, so they walk out. We're sitting there for a while, not really knowing what's going on. But like at that point, it's, it's like the game's probably off. Uh, but you want to, you know, you want to stay in the mindset just in case, blah, blah, blah. Um, so then they come in again and they tell us, uh, yeah, the, the game's off. Yeah, we hop in the shower, you know, get ready, get tested again. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we get tested again. We get tested uh, after every game anyway. And then, uh, we go sit uh, in the bowl. Uh, we're just sitting there. We're the only ones there. Uh, then we have to get tested again after that. So two times after the game, come to find out that nah, nobody had it. So then we go to the plane, sit there for you know a little while, go to Utah, and then we got a game that day. So, Have you been able to go out to dinner with teammates in any city on the road or have, is it been all I mean I know different rules different cities have you actually been able to say okay this city we're allowed to do it this restaurant's approved it's safe we feel comfortable let's go out and have a dinner the three or four of us has that happened <laughs> no <laughs> no wow. um, yeah it hasn't happened um and there's so many rules that's, that are happening right now that you're kind of afraid to do anything you don't want to get fined um I'm not even sure what the rules are I just know that I'd rather just stay inside and, and not do anything than to risk going to dinner with my teammates and getting fined. So. You went to India by yourself as a young adult, which is like traveling by yourself is a different experience. I've taken a couple trips. I went to Guatemala by myself once. India by yourself. Why did you do it? And what's, what's the, how long were you there? What's the highlight? What's something you'll always remember from that trip? That's adventurous. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely. Um, so... I started traveling by myself, might be three years ago now. Um, when I first told my mom that I was going to travel by myself, I was going to go to Africa. She, you know, she was scared. She didn't want me to go by myself, blah, blah. So she ended up coming with me to South Africa and Egypt. And then I ended up going to Ethiopia by myself. Um, she didn't want to go to Ethiopia. So, but that was my first, ex uh, first travel experience by myself. I think um, I kind of do it because. I like to kind of experience the culture of things uh, of, of different places. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's why I went to India, kind of experience the culture, uh, see how it is. Um, kind of intriguing to me. And uh, a lot of people don't like to, to travel like that. So, uh, yeah, so I went by myself. Uh, something that I'll never forget, the Taj Mahal. I seen the Taj Mahal. Um, it was amazing. Um, just the symmetry of it and everything. Uh, then I went to Himalaya Mountains um, in Sikkim. Uh, that's something I won't forget. I mean, it's a lot of things. It's a lot of things, but those are probably. You, you like Indian food? Amazing, amazing, all over. Yep, every every spot, the curry, the different spices they use, uh, everything. So you've had this has been your career. It's not a career that would be easy to duplicate. You come into the league 
and the Sixers are just like in the deepest part of the process from the beginning of it. Then you go to Oklahoma City and you play with Russ during the triple-double year, which must have been incredible. One year in Denver and here. So here's my question. I want you to close your eyes and think back to all the players who played on that first Sixers team. And I'm looking at the list right now. There are so many. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, who's out of the NBA right now from that team that should be in the NBA? Give me one or two guys that are out of the NBA that are good enough to be in the NBA. KJ McDaniels, for sure. Um, I, I don't even know where he is. Uh, I think he's playing overseas. Yeah, I think he's playing overseas right now. Um, yeah, I think he should still be in the NBA, um, especially with the way the NBA is now. Who else? That was that was what? my number. That was going to be if you had forced me to guess who is his first pick going to be. That was going to be my guess. Mm-hmm. Alexi um, Shved. Alexi Shved. Yeah. He was really, yeah, he was really good. I think he's, I mean, he's having fun. I think he's back home right now. I think, uh, yeah, he's just living. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think he could, he, he could definitely still, or should still be in the league. If he wanted to, I feel like he, he could have um, still been. So. Did Jokic ever hit you in the face with a pass? Uh, No, really close though. Really close <laughs> a couple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did you ever laugh on the bench at some of the passes he would throw? I mean, I watch Denver games and I just I break out laughing like four times in a game. Uh, definitely, definitely, especially when you first get there, because um, you don't really expect anybody to pass that way, let alone a, a big man, a center. Um, yeah, just the things that he sees that you don't think he sees. Um, it, it, I mean, it's incredible, um, especially even playing defense um, against him. Uh, so in practice and things like that, or you know, walk through the shoot arounds and things like that. He'll be, you know, joking around, but at the same time, you know, like I'll be like on the weak side trying to guess which one, you know, which player he's going to pass it to. You know, he'll do like a no look or behind the back or things like that. So, nah, it's, it's incredible. Speaking of the process um, I want and your jump shot, I once talked with John Townsend, who was a shooting coach with the Sixers back then, mm-hmm. and he was telling me how much work even then – you're putting in because they you came right into the league and we're like they're we're making this guy a three and D player. This is our number one uh, number one goal with him, and the three took a long time. He to, I can't I don't have my notes, but he told me there was like some contraption he would put on your arm or elbow or something to try to mm-hmm. change it. So like what what in the world? What it sounds like a robotic arm or something. What was it? Uh yeah, it was something for my wrist. It would it would help to keep my wrist straight when I turn. Um, so when I turn when I turn my hand to, to shoot it, it would help keep my wrist straight. So when I follow through, it would be straight. Um, yeah, he he made yeah, he made that. He, yeah, he made that, and uh, we worked. Yeah, it's with like it. his own. It's like his own device, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And we worked with it for for a while. Um, I still work with with JT to this day. Um, so I mean, yeah, he he definitely he definitely helped me to to get here. Um, I've done a lot of work with 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 JT, um, but yes, yeah, I don't even know how to duplicate it. Honestly, uh, he got some screws in there and things like that. Uh, it's you know he got a metal part on the side it, to keep my wrist straight, uh, keep my elbow tucked in, and yeah. When Russ was gonna try to break the triple double record that year for most triple doubles in a season. Did you want to be the guy who scored on the assist? It was like, remember there was like, there was drama about, it was going to be an assist. I think he needed to break the triple. I, I just remember it happened in Denver 
and I don't remember who made the basket, but like, did you want, there was some basket that clinched some record. I'm off the top of my head. I can remember. Did you want to be that guy or did you feel pressure? Like if I miss, if I keep missing, like I remember Sabonis missed a bunch of shots and I was like, poor Sabonis he's never going to hear the end of this. Um, no, I didn't necessarily want that. I wanted, I just wanted him to break it. So however we had to do it, um, we was going to do it, but I mean, I mean, he did that, you know, he, he did that. He, he got us so many open shots. So it was, I mean, it, it was going to happen. I mean, it, it was amazing. It was the, the most amazing season that I've, I mean, ever seen anybody have, let alone been a part of, um, and yeah, me and Russ, I mean, still close to this day. Uh, you know, he, he helps me, he helps me with, with things now. Um, Obviously, uh, me being in a new situation, him already being in situations like this. Uh, uh, no, nah, it was it was amazing season. It was amazing. So, so you, you've talked to him about what's it going to be like to be in this role? What do I need to to do to prepare myself? All you've talked about being like the number one option kind of thing. Definitely, yeah. I mean, he, I talk with Russ about it uh, all the time. Um, you know, he tells me just being the focus of a scout report is different. You know. Um, and it was a few games, you know, they where where people started guarding me a different way, and uh, we had to make adjustments. And you know, he was he was you know he was talking me through it, you know. So, uh, speaking of Oklahoma City, I, ha- I have I'm sorry, I have to ask you about another iconic shot. You're under the rim, boxing somebody out when Damian Lillard's walk off logo shot is up in the air to end that series in Portland. So, you're not really involved in the play, but you're under the rim. You can see it. Did you think, oh God, uh oh, this is going in? Did you like what? What's going through your head as that play is on? Like, did you were you surprised he hadn't dribbled anywhere? He's just dribbling forty feet from the rim as the clock is running out. So, what's going through your head as that whole thing is unfolding and as you're watching the ball in the air? So I was, yeah, <laughs> like you said, he was he was just dribbling the ball at the top. Um, yep, I was under the rim. I think my guy was in the corner. I don't think I, I know my guy was in the corner um, and I was sitting there. He was dribbling the ball. He was dribbling it. And once it got to a certain point, all I thought in my head was he's about to shoot the ball. And I think, I mean, I don't think I know PG thought the same thing. That's why he jumped before Dame. Um, when he released it, I mean, the, it was straight. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was like, damn, I hope this is an in and out. Like I hope, I hope it bounces out. Uh, he makes it. I sit there, kind of, kind of stare, kind of take in with everything that was going on. Um, yeah, it was tough. It was tough. It was a tough one. What is there even? What is there even to say in the locker room after after that game? Do you guys all pack up quietly, get on the plane, and I say, "What do you do on the plane after a game like that? Just go to sleep." Yeah, I mean, you're not gonna be able to sleep for a few days. Um, but I mean. Yeah, there's nothing you can really say. I mean, we're going home at that point. Um, but, as, I mean, that's going to be on your mind for a while. Get off social media if you don't want to see it because, you know, that's it's going to be everywhere for – I mean, still, they, you know, they still put, put that up sometimes. But, um, yeah, you just – I mean, it's not oh, that's going to that's going to play forever. I got news for you. You're <laughs> going to see that shot yeah. nine million times in your life. Yeah. Last one. Last one. And I'll let you go. I am not a comic book guy, so I'm not the right audience for this. I have been told that you are a big comic book guy. 
give the comic book nerds a rec which is not me because I don't know anything about comic books. Give the comic book nerds a recommendation from Jeremy Grant for maybe an under the radar comic or a new comic or something that would impress the comic book nerds. That would impress the comic book nerds. Or irritate them. Either way, I don't care. Well, one of my new favorite comic books that I, that I read uh, is The Boys. Um, I think they just came out with a show. The show is not as good as the comic, um, but The Boys. The Boys is uh, it's pretty vulgar. I think uh, a lot of comic <laughs> comic book nerds would definitely like that. So. What 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 is it about? Sell me, uh, me, a, sell me on it. Uh... All right, so it's it's a superhero comic book um, series, and um, you know it's kind of like the X Men thing. You know, you know people have powers and things like that. They get it from. Well, I don't. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to tell everybody what's going on. In okay. It. Um, all right. Okay. But yeah, you know they got powers. You know, it's uh, it's, they got a they got a seven, uh, which is the strongest superheroes. You know, they're up top. Uh, and they do a lot of crazy. They do a lot of crazy stuff. They're not the superheroes that you think. You know, they're they're more like villains like if real people had powers um how would they act you know uh oh, if you were the strongest okay. man in the world like would you want to help everybody or like would you just do whatever you want to do you know so uh that i mean so just think of the craziest things that could come off of that and then like that's that's what it's about all right well look um you've been generous with your time it's been Look, I was I was wrong. I didn't think you were going to thrive like this in Detroit. I've been super, super impressed. Every game I watch or look at the box, I'm like, you did it again. 20 more, 25 more efficient shooting. So I congratulate you. Congratulations on the deal. And uh, keep it up, my friend. It's been great to see. Thank you. Thank you.